So as you're uh, finishing getting your coffee and donuts and goodies and finishing up your conversation, today I am going to present to you what you asked for, which was the paper that I presented at the ACELC conference, uh, which was a week and a half ago. Oh, it's still up there. Okay. So I have 50 copies of this paper. I didn't print off more than that because they're like, I don't know, 18, 20 pages long. So I want to burn a lot of paper. So there's 50 copies up here. If I could have a couple of elders or volunteers, uh, raise your hand if you can share. We'll have it up on the screen for you. And then if you want a digital copy of the paper, go to the ACLC website or you can email me, okay? M. McKay at adventlutheran.org. Okay? So that's where we're going to go today. Well, you got quiet really quick. Okay. And finish getting your coffee and donuts and stuff. There's the stack. So there's 50 of those. So uh, just get rid of all those copies today. I don't want any in my office. Don't need them. Okay, so the ACELC conference, they have a free conference every year, and it focuses on one of 10 um, errors, or you might say areas where the Missouri Synod uh, has historically had some challenges or is currently having some challenges. So the theme this year was missions, and so I was asked to come and speak about a um, now- now it's kind of somewhat defunct organization known as the Mission Planners Institute. Um, something I went through because I was trained to be a mission planter uh, back uh, right after seminary. And actually, my wife, you were trained as well to be a mission planner. You don't remember any of that, okay. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that um, and uh, I'll just kind of get into my paper here for now, otherwise we'll run out of time. Let's go, the Lord be with you. Let your merciful eyes, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that they may obtain their petitions, make them to ask such things as shall please you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Okay, page one, a Lutheran perspective of Mission Planners Institute. John 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Simon Peter, follow me. And 2 Timothy 1.13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And from the Augsburg Confession, Augustana 5, to obtain such faith, God instituted the office of the ministry 
that is, provided the gospel and the sacraments. Through these, as through means, he gives the Holy Spirit, who works faith where and when he pleases, in those who hear the gospel. And the gospel teaches that we have a gracious God, not by our own merits, but by the merit of Christ, when we believe this. Condemned are the Anabaptists and others who teach that the Holy Spirit comes to us through our own preparations, thoughts, and works without the external word of the gospel. And Augustana 7, it is also taught among us that one holy Christian church will be and remain forever. Early service people, this is the eternal dwellings. This is the assembly of all believers among whom the gospel is preached in its purity and the holy sacraments are administered according to the gospel. For it is sufficient for the true unity of the Christian church that the gospel be preached in conformity with a pure understanding of it and that the sacraments be administered in accordance with the divine word. Here we go. You will make a fine pastor. Your business background is exactly what the church today needs. Instead of selling window treatments, you'll be selling Jesus. These words were spoken to me with my wife present, and she's here, correct? At our district interview following my application for seminary. It was 1999, and part of me was hoping that they would find several flaws and deficiencies that would keep me from being approved. I had spent the last five years starting and managing branches of our family business and chasing the almighty dollar. But the call persisted, fed by encouragement from family and pastors at like. I was good at sales and management, but felt quite shaky when it came to considering what I saw pastors do, preaching, teaching, and visitation. And my first two years of seminary did little to ease my fear, cramming my brain with new languages and history. And when expressing my concerns to various professors, I was simply told that my maturity and experience would get me through any hurdles that came my way. I considered becoming a chaplain candidate, incorrectly thinking that working in such a disciplined setting would remove any inadequacies I felt. There was also a, quote, mission track for MDiv students, grooming men to become missionaries overseas or mission planters stateside. But I was naive and not very connected in the word world of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, so my plan was just to cooperate and graduate. I could plant a church and certainly be successful, but it didn't seem to matter to me at the time whether it was really Lutheran. And then Vicarage came. I still remember the words echoing against the walls of the chapel of St. Timothy and St. Titus. Marcus J. McKay, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Lincoln, Nebraska. And I met my vicarage supervisor immediately after, a big, boisterous bear of a man. And I was told he was an up-and-comer with a growing church. Sweet. We made arrangements to meet the following morning for coffee. Being sure to not have the volume too loud, I queued up my favorite wow worship songs for his arrival. I don't think he was impressed. I had played the part of a praise band drummer for several years, believing the church needed to change worship styles and methods if it was to reach the culture for Jesus. And how wrong I was. The first week of vicarage, I met with this boisterous bear of a man. He liked to hunt and smoke cigars, so I figured we would get along famously. At the first meeting, he asked me what I wanted to get out of vicarage. And I was honest. 
I told him that I wasn't really concerned about being, quote, a Lutheran pastor, but that I enjoyed being around people, and that I was concerned that others become saved. He nodded his head and proceeded to talk about the vicarage requirements. But my first task from him would be to read through the Book of Concord. Starting with the Augsburg Confession, I read through the first four articles that same afternoon. And then I got stuck. Article 5 hit me like a ton of bricks, especially the part about condemning those who teach that the Holy Spirit comes through our own preparations, our own thoughts, our own works. This troubled me. Up until then, I truly believed that being a pastor was a subjective work of just that. But Pastor Poppy... Pastor Clint Poppy was gentle. He didn't condemn me or tell me to go back to the business world. He directed me to Scripture. And then he modeled what feeding sheep was all about. And I devoured Scripture in our confessions like Pastor Poppy used to approach the buffet at Valentino's Pizza. <laughs> For you Indiana people, Val Valentino's is a, is a Lincoln establishment, uh, Italian restaurant. How many people know Valentino's? Oh, we've got a few. Okay, all right. I met other pastors who talked and spoke likewise, so differently than what I had encountered at seminary or at prior parishes. Pastor Brent Kuhlman, Pastor Scott Porath, Pastor Dan Bremer, and many others. And I am humbled to call them my friends. I learned so much more on vicarage than the first two years of seminary. I learned what it was to be a Lutheran. Namely, that true mission is pure preaching of the gospel and the right administration of the sacraments. Feeding the sheep was not about my vision, my strengths, my weaknesses and whatnot, but rather about following a pattern of sound words as set forth in Scripture and our confessions. Even though I was raised in the LCMS with a hymnal in my hand, no one had ever taught me why we follow such patterns in liturgy, hymnody, and catechesis. But the biggest challenge was yet to come. Returning to seminary, I applied myself diligently to my studies, making such good grades that I was encouraged to stay on for additional graduate studies. I spent as much time as I could around Dr. Nagel and Dr. Feuerhahn, or as we called him behind his back, Dr. Fire Chicken. <laughs> Let the reader understand. I served a small vacant church 90 miles away preaching every Sunday and making visits on Wednesday, utilizing an ordained pastor for the sacraments and other duties. And I prayed that God would place me in a congregation that was faithful in word and sacrament. But then the placement office from the seminary called. I had been requested for an interview by the mission executive of the Mid-South District. They were looking for a candidate, a seminarian, to plant a young mission congregation that had fallen on difficult times. It was really a replant. It was wildly contemporary and had already been through two pastors in three years. I expected this interview, a deep theological inquiry. Perhaps questions about how I would handle closed communion in a mission setting. That's a good one, right? Or how well versed I was with the apologetic task, talking to people that weren't Christians. Instead, it was more of the same, examining my business background, my management skills, 
and especially asking about my personal vision for the church and my desire to reach the lost. I went home and vented to my wife, and I even scheduled a follow-up appointment with the placement office, telling the dean that I would prefer not to be placed as a mission replanter, but that I would still serve where I was placed. As it turns out, a good friend of mine is absolutely correct when he says that seminarians and vicars are best seen, not heard. <laughs> the words once again echoed off the walls of the chapel, this time saying, Marcus J. McKay, Friends in Christ Lutheran Church, Bryant, Arkansas. And I thought I heard an audible gasp coming from the rear of the sanctuary, but my wife says she wasn't that loud. <laughs> the rest was a whirlwind of activity, as most have experienced on call day. And if you've never been up to a call day at Fort Wayne or St. Louis, it's, it's a marvelous time. Sometime in your life, just go up there to witness and hear and see how the Lord works. It's, it's amazing. Reading through the call documents, meeting the district president, the mission executive, and, and talking to my classmates, my friends, took up most of the night. Regardless, I had received what I had originally and sinfully desired, the planting or rather replanting of a church that really wasn't concerned about being Lutheran. This was confirmed when we first visited the congregation just a few weeks later. There was no liturgy to speak of, no pattern of sound words. Prior to the pastor's sermon, the small congregation of 30-plus people were invited to come up and lay hands on him for an anointing by the Holy Spirit. Then the few children there were dismissed for children's church. The WOW worship CDs were stacked neatly by the amplifier, feeding one Christian top 40 hit after another. Now, to be fair, and please understand this, we met such loving and wonderful people there. But I was not prepared for learning that a fair amount of those communing were not actually members. Several of them introduced themselves as Methodists or Baptists. The Pentecostals were easy to identify, right? <laughs> Several people asked if, if I would be sure that when we had communion that we could have it at the very beginning of the service and just get it out of the way so that the focus could be on me as a preacher and I could finish up with a long and dynamic sermon and, and send them home with, with fire in their belly and love for their neighbor. And I couldn't help but think that the Holy Spirit sure has a sense of humor. I prayed then and there for the Lord's guidance, strength and patience in the task of purely preaching the gospel and rightly administering the sacraments. But before I could begin this hard work, the district would be providing me with some much-needed training. Mission Planters Institute. And there's copies on the back of the paper, uh, pamphlets, and a little more information on that. We won't have time to get into that uh, during today's session. I couldn't really say no because the district was paying the equivalent of my salary for one year. So let the reader understand this, that my call at a seminary, I was pretty much told there's only enough money to, to, to support you for a year. <laughs> So you better get something done. And if it doesn't get done, well, yeah, who knows? So I dared not think beyond that time frame of such a small congregation, a replant of roughly 35 people. I decided the first step was to actually have my ordination installation there, and they had a rented strip mall space that served as a sanctuary, sandwiched between Larry's Pizza 
And if you've ever been to Bryant, Arkansas or Little Rock, you need to go to Larry's Pizza. It's better than Valentino's. Oh yeah. And I like Valentino's. They're really good. And a candy store. Pastor Poppy even came all the way down from Nebraska to preach. My hope was to slowly teach a pattern of sound words in worship and catechesis. And, and it would be slow, painstaking work. But first, I needed to cooperate and graduate from Mission Planners Institute and SG Squared. Some of you might remember all the ablaze stuff from about 15, 20 years ago. SG Squared is strategic growth for small groups. These were the district requirements for mission planners at the time. Okay? And, and all that curriculum, by the way, and, uh, and I've got some of this documented in this packet, none of it is, is Lutheran per se. All the materials were written uh, by actually non-Lutheran mission folks, okay? uh, which is really sad that we have this great history of doing missions in the Missouri Synod, but we went for a period of about 15, 20 years where we had none of our Lutheran academics or missionaries actually producing materials. We were looking elsewhere for that. Uh, and I'll get into that a little later, of what that means. So just two weeks after ordination installation, July 25th to 30th, that was 2004, the district flew my wife and me along with our coach, and our coach uh, was Reverend Mike Mark Icehold. Uh, actually, I don't know if Barb Kramer is here. No, she's not here today. She's down in Georgia. Uh, Mark Icehold is the um, assistant pastor at their, uh, the Kramer's church in Naples, Florida. Uh, and so I've kept in touch a little bit with Mark and Sandy. He was a missionary, I think, in... I want to say Puerto Rico. I don't want to get that wrong. But he's doing now a Hispanic, he's doing Hispanic ministry down in Naples as well as other assistant pastor's duties. Uh, he was a year ahead of me at seminary. I think you and uh, his wife taught school together for a year uh, at some point and crossed paths. So anyway, they flew us to Concordia University in Irvine, California for the next session of Mission Planners Institute. And here's a summary in their own words, MPI, of what we could expect. Quote, this week-long training event is for new church planters. Every planter attends with a coach. During the week, the planter and coach together develop a mission plan for the new church plant. Courses include the theology of church planting, financing the new start, apostolic entrepreneurs, I like that one, <laughs> developing a mission plan, developing a mission strategy, raising up and developing leadership, coaching, developing an outreach plan, time management, natural church development, developing a dynamic structure, evangelism, personal spiritual growth and development, and using technology and worship. All that was to be crammed into five days. Prior to attending the institute, we were required to uh, read. If you're, if you're a strategic planning person, you know about uh, Aubrey Malper's book, um, The Advanced Strategic Planning. There's also, uh, and this was the only LCMS book we were required to read, um, The Apostolic Church by Robert Scuderi used to be a mission guy. Uh, you really don't need to read it. It's, it's not, I would have a lot of critiques of uh, Dr. Scuderi's work. And Starting a New Church by Ralph Moore. Our wives were encouraged to read Gentle Plantings by Arnell Arn Tassani. Now these would be our primary texts. Let me, let me just stop right there. Our primary text, what we would study to learn about mission planning would come from where? You got it? I don't think I need to spell it out for you. Those would be our primary text. 
Now, in addition, we were to complete a DISC, some of you know what that is, a disc personality profile and spiritual gifts inventory, okay? Now, some of the personality profile stuff, that's good. We went through a lot of that at seminary already, and, and I kind of came out of a, a, a business world anyway, so we, we went through a lot of that. You know, I don't have a problem so much with, with the personality profile or even some of the inventory type stuff. The, the main thing is for it's important for you to use some tools, whether it's other people or certain things, to recognize who God has made you to be, right, and what he's given you. So, you know, a lot of times when I talk to high schoolers, you know, they'll have uh, what's the ASVAB test, right, so vocational testing. There's some good things that can come out of that, okay, but keep in mind, we're already past that point, all right, as a mission planners. I mean, I've completed not just college, but graduate school, switched careers, and now I've got to go through all the personality profiling again. Just ridiculous. Anyway, so with the exception of Scuderi, none of the resources or texts were used were truly produced or even approved by the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. Many were not doctrinally pure, and some people don't realize that we have an agreement in the Missouri Synod about what resources we use. Uh, and you can, you can reference that. It's Article 6 of our LCMS Constitution, okay, uh, which says it will only use doctrinally pure documents, books, hymnals, catechisms, etc. Okay? So let the reader understand that Mission Planners Institute was attempting to teach me and my wife a different pattern of words. For example, the pre-work for the Institute was quite subjective. This then became the focus for our entire week there. And it was divided into four categories or in sessions. Quote, your story, your values, your mission, your vision. The underlying presupposition was that by learning about yourself through inventories, assessments, and reflection, the mission planter would then tailor their plant according to themselves. In other words, the new church plant would be patterned after the mission planter. And by Friday, the Mission Institute, the goal was for each mission planner to have their mission plan termed your vision completed. For most of us, this was prior to actually being on location or even starting the process of gathering fellow Lutherans or working with catechumenates. This is where so many of what I call the fad churches come from. And if you look at the footnote there at the bottom, 11, there have been mission starts with emphases on the following that I know of or have witnessed. Hard rock and grunge. There was a church, actually, I believe it was in uh, uh, outside of, uh, I think it was outside of Nashville. Uh, it was a church. Is there a river that runs through Nashville? I remember the church being somewhere close. It was an old warehouse down by the river. And so it was just all hard, it was a, it was a hard rock church, like Metallica, Megadeth, Okay, so that was pattern. That was the mission planner. He was into heavy rock, and his personality came back. So I'll start a church that reaches out to people that like hard rock music. Uh, do I need to go on about this? Are you picking this up? So coffee house stuff, you've seen that done before. Cowboy church, uh, biker friendly. The funny thing is that none of these churches or plants exist today as far as I know. Okay. Um, go back up to uh, just uh, footnote 11. I'm sorry, I got my footnotes wrong. There were two primary objectives of Mission Planners Institute. Number one, in their own words, provide an opportunity of prayerful reflection, personal introspection, and discussions about you, the person God has molded, shaped, prepared, and called to start this new mission. And two, 
prepare you to develop an initial plan for the mission with which you will be working. Okay? At the Institute, you and your coach will develop that initial plan. Okay? Now, throughout the week at the Institute, we were also taught different patterns in worship and study. It was common to break into small groups, laying hands upon one another, and, and praying ex corde. Uh, ex corde just simply means praying from the heart. There's nothing wrong with praying from the heart, but if that's all you're doing, then the pattern of prayer and worship becomes based on you, right? And you fall into habits, right? Like the we just prayers. We just want to We just want to thank you, Lord. We just want to praise you. We just want to, the sun is shining. We just, you know, so you get, you get all that. You following me as well there? Okay. All right. Um, that's why we have colics. That's why we have propers. That's why you have prayers you should teach your children. Luther gives them to us in our catechism, okay? Those things are important. It's not that you can't pray without a script or from something memorized. You can pray from the heart, but be careful, okay? And know and pay attention to what and how you're praying and who the focus is. Uh, it was common to break into small groups, lots of laying on of hands. Oh my goodness, it was ridiculous. I'm not a, I, I will give you, a, I call them pastor hugs, but I'm really not a, a huggy kind of, just ask my wife, am I that kind of, I just, I like my personal space, okay? So I'm just not, I'm just not into that, all right? Um, anyway, uh, so, so I don't recall that we ever used any services or hymns out of our then current hymnal, which would have been Lutheran worship or the wire before that TLH. We also learned many new Pentecostal songs. Spirit of the living God. My wife's going to love this earworm. Fall afresh on me, right? I can still hear Victor Belton, big, uh, big black guy, Missouri Synod pastor. I think he's uh, official somewhere now in a district, just belting it out. And they would just sing this over and over again, the same refrain. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. You know, mold me, make me, shape me, use me. And just over and over and over, over right? And the goal was just to kind of get you into a little bit of a meditative fervor. All right? So, you know, understand why some of the contemporary worship stuff has the refrains and uses the music to try and get you emotionally charged and motivated. Okay? All right? And then, and then just remember what I'm teaching you here with the pattern of sound words. Okay? Now, there was also, uh, we were taught an African Bible study. Anybody heard of this? Raise your hand if you've heard of an African Bible study. This has really been making the rounds still today. And it's being used by a lot of our Missouri Synod, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, you don't? Oh, okay, Pastor. I will teach you something new. I didn't think I could do that. Um, go to um, addendum number four on the very back. Matthias, scroll down. Okay. And the African Bible study uh, was first presented. I've got to put my glasses on for the small print here on the footnote. Um, I'll see addendum number four. Okay. So this was uh, introduced, um, oh, there, I've got the summary on, I forgot. See, it's been a week and a half since I gave this paper. This, I go to the very bottom. Yeah, uh, anyway, let me just read it. It's like the third or fourth page from the bottom of the whole document. No. Oh, you don't have it on there. Sorry. Here we go. This Bible study method was introduced by the African delegation to the Lambeth Conference, okay? So this is the Episcopal Church, okay, or you might say the Anglican Church uh, in England. Um, it is known uh, by both names, uh, Lambeth Bible Study, uh, African Bible Study. 
Uh, it's rooted in the ancient method of praying the scriptures known as uh, uh, Lectio Divina, which means holy reading. But, but here's what I want you to understand. So, so 98, this was kind of introduced uh, within the Episcopal Church. One person would read a passage of the Bible slowly. And then you go around the room and each person identifies as the word or phrase that caught, catches their attendance. You know, what stood out for you? All right, so, so let's pick the Bible story for today, early service people, about the, the parable of the unjust uh, steward, right? So we go around the room, and what stood out for you? Now, what, what jumped out at you? You know, what, what stuck in your head? Uh, and then each shares that word or phrase with the group, and you take a few minutes to do that. Then another person reads the passage slowly, usually from a different translation. Now, the Episcopals changed this a few years later in early 2000s, they wanted to make sure that a man would read, then a woman would read, then a man would read, and a woman would read. Now let the reader read between the lines to understand a little bit of what was going on there. Each person then identifies where this passage touches their life today. Right? This is the question, what does this passage say to me? Okay? The passage is then read a third time. Another reader, perhaps another gender, another translation. And then each person names or writes down, from what I've heard and shared, what do I believe God wants me to do or be? Is God inviting me to change in any way? And then you talk about it. That's how uh, people have been taught to study the Bible, and that's how we were taught to teach people to study the Bible. Now, this was really troubling to me. Because it encourages interpretation of the biblical text based on what does it mean to me. This is the postmodern conundrum. As opposed to how does this Bible passage testify to Christ? Or how does other scripture inform and interpret this passage? Okay. It was postmodernly maddening and sad. Okay. So if you have a Bible study, I, I, I want you to study the Bible. I hope you do that on your own. I don't have any problem if you get together with Christians and do that as well, okay? But if you start studying your Bible and saying, oh, I wonder what this means to me, I'm going to come hit you upside the head with a two-by-four. <laughs> okay? Because that's not how you study the Bible. Studying the Bible is not about how it, what it's speaking to you and what it's saying to you. This is why Jesus is crucified. He puts his hand there in the synagogue upon the stacks of scrolls and he says, these testify to me. And they want to stone him and murder him and crucify him right there. Because for them, the scriptures are really about who? What must I do to be saved? The lawyer asked Jesus. And the old sinful nature, your old Adam, wants to ask the same question. You still have it within you, that old Adam. It's not completely gone. Okay? I pray that it's dying daily in the waters of your baptism, but you are a sinner and saint while you draw breath this side of heaven. Okay? And so true Bible study is now learning the new man in you wants to hear about Jesus, wants to learn about what he's done, wants to see how he's the hinge, how he's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, the new man in you desires these greater gifts. The new man becomes... Well, a Mary who longs to sit at the Lord's feet. And that's the most important. Okay? Hang on to that. 
We were also required, I think I've got it on the copy because I give you a copy of some of my notes here. As part of this Mission Planners Institute, we were required, now most of us now are young pastors, I was a little older than some of the guys, uh, to be part of a learning community. And we were required to either start or join an existing learning community. The learning community consisted of other non-Lutheran pastors. So the, the learning community that I was part of, which kind of took the place of my Winkle. Uh, Winkle is German basically for, for corner or intersection. Uh, most Missouri Synod circuits still have Winkles, meaning the pastors of the circuit gathered together for Bible study uh, and commiseration. Um, the learning community was just that, except we were required to do it with non-Lutherans. So my learning community, I had Pentecostal pastor, I had an Assembly of God pastor, I, there were a couple of female pastors in there, um, none of us shared all the same beliefs. What do we have to learn together? And of course, the way they want to study Scripture is, huh, well, it's the way I was taught at Mission Planners Institute, which was not the way I want to study the Bible. So this is part of the other problem is we in the LCMS, in the past, keep in mind this is all 15 years ago, all right? This is, is, is you know, you wonder why you go to some Missouri Synod churches and, and where some of this stuff comes from. Okay, we in the Missouri Senate have brought that on ourselves because we've, you know, through unionism or syncretism or other things, or just using bad theological books, have taught many of our pastors to do this, okay, and have failed to call them on account or even deal with it and talk about it, okay? Questions or comments? Top of page eight. To be fair and honest, the information and techniques presented for time management and financing were helpful. I have no issues with that. Most pastors will have to deal with those issues, whether personally or within the church. You know, we get a lot of young guys coming out of seminary, and they have problems managing their own checkbook or even understanding, you know, much less reading, you know, a P&L or anything like that. And they get out in the church, and they've got to work with, you know, voters and treasurers and that sort of thing. So that type of stuff is important, okay? I mean, it's not the main thing, but there are certain things there that, that uh, we, need, we do need to teach. Uh, many of us young pastors, some of you people recognize this, we're already using PDAs. That's like a Palm Pilot back then. And MPI still was typical Missouri Sid and hadn't caught up to our generation. They give us small day timers, which is what I always saw the older pastors carrying around. Um, and so <laughs> I was also looking forward to learning and hearing more regarding the theology of church planning. That's a great topic. Yeah, let's study that. Let's look at the history. Let's examine scripture. But that was never addressed at all through this whole mission planners thing. Regarding models of church planning, MPI prepared us, and I'm gonna go pretty, pretty, pretty quickly through this part, with what is most widely known as the traditional model. This is not to be confused with what I will simply term the daughter model, which is actually more of the traditional model. Daughter model is how most LCMS churches have come into being, okay? Daughter model is what you did here at Advent with Epiphany. And I would say to you, I'll just say it right out, that's the best way to start a church, okay? So the daughter model uh, originates, uh, one, with LCMS members who have moved to a new geographic area and where there is not currently an LCMS congregation, or two, members from a current LCMS congregation gather together to form a new congregation in a new geographic area where there is not currently an LCMS congregation. Now, I would submit to you that this is the best model for church planting as it maintains the pattern of sound words and initial membership that has been catechized. It also provides immediate fellowship and assistance, be it financial or otherwise. 
I would also submit that the daughter model also includes what is currently known as the satellite model. And perhaps some of you have seen this with rather large congregations that acquire a location and live stream their services or some version of closed circuit TV from the main site to the branch. Okay? Uh, Traders Point has done this. Uh, uh, Carmel Lutheran Cornerstone, right? And I'm not getting my names confused yet, am I? Are they one and the same? So you say Carmel or Cornerstone, same church. So I know they've got some other branches. So this is part of the satellite uh, process. In similar fashion, there is a historic model of a preaching station. Now, the advantage of satellite or preaching station is that the mission pastor, whoever is going to work in that new field, has resources that are already available. He's got a copy machine, right? He's got somebody who might be able to, to handle phone calls, a secretary, or that sort of stuff. With the current satellite model, many large congregations utilize name recognition and proven tactics. And I often wonder what would happen if every Missouri Synod perished used the same divine service and propers every day. That would really be some satellites, wouldn't it? Just ruminate on that, okay? One thing I will add in here, uh, you know, we've had some people that have asked, uh, you know, um, Whitestown is growing. You know, Lebanon is growing as a place for people to work. Lebanon is not growing a lot in terms of residential people just yet, uh, but we don't have an LCMS presence that way. Is that something Advent could take the lead on down the road? I mean, we're talking five years, 10 years? Yes, and I think we should always be thinking about where are people that we can serve the gospel with, where are opportunities to teach and to preach, okay? So you'll hear more about me. It's, it's nothing we're going to start in the next year or anything like that, so don't, don't get all freaked out, right? Now, the traditional model of church planning is simply to find at least four families or 25 total individuals that would immediately begin meeting for worship, right? So you just go out and find these people however you want to find them, right? You meet them on the golf course, um, you, you meet them at the Kroger's or Meyer, whatever, and you talk to them, they're not going to church, hey, you want to come over to my house? Uh, Sunday school would start soon after and the church would develop from there. The families or individuals may or may not have a denominational affiliation or background. This is actually the Southern Baptist model. A lot of people don't know, but most of the mission planting stuff we have has come from the Southern Baptists, okay? Um, and some of it's not completely bad, okay? But just understand that, that they're starting off not with an emphasis upon teaching the truth of God's Word, but building just relationships with people, okay? So now who is doing the converting? Not necessarily the Holy Spirit, but just, just you, and that's how you can end up with a church that is actually full of people who believe a whole bunch of different things. And I'll give you one example. When I arrived down in uh, Arkansas, you know, I met uh, a bunch of people who told me they were Methodist or they were, you know, Pentecostal. And uh, I met this one guy, really bright. Uh, he was actually a, a speechwriter uh, for uh, uh, Wynn Rockefeller, uh, part of the Arkansas uh, Rockefellers, uh, uh, was a lieutenant uh, governor, I think, for that year. Is that right? And, uh, and uh, he and his wife were Methodists. Um, no, 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 she was Baptist, he was Methodist, I think was right. Uh, and regardless, they had two beautiful little girls, just wonderful little girls, never been baptized. And he says, he says Pastor, I want to meet with you for coffee someday because there's, there's some stuff that you were talking about in the Bible or you preached about that's kind of troubling me. And so we go and we talk with coffee and he goes, he goes, you know, I, I never really thought my daughters needed to be baptized, but it sure seems that God's word says they should be wow, I'm glad you see that. Let's talk about that, right? So we do that. We study Scripture together, and we do all that. And, 
And he comes back several weeks later and he goes, he goes, he goes, Pastor, you know, my wife doesn't want anything to do with this infant baptism thing. For her, it's all about the girls making a decision and we don't want to force anything on them, you know, and we just want to let it, we want to leave their salvation in their hands, which by the way is what you're doing when you don't do your job as a parent. And he comes to me and says, I was giving the girls a bath last night and I baptized them. I said, wow, okay. He said, I'm convicted by God's word. He said, was that okay? (laughs) And my first question was, did you tell your wife? (laughs) He said, no, and you won't either. (laughs) And I said, don't put me in that spot. I said, I can't promise that. You know, so then we had to talk about, you know, recognition of baptism. And anyway, long story short, they... They remained friends, but they left the church. Uh, you know, she was, she was a pretty persuasive gal. Uh, so so you, you can have, you know, it's, it's not just men sometimes that will leave, you know, the faith or the relationship of the church. It, it can be a wife too, by the way. Uh, but that was a really interesting story. But they were members of the church, but not really members. You know, on the rolls, I mean, they tithed regularly. They took communion. They served on boards and committees. Am I getting any of this wrong? See, i got a witness here. This is a little easier for me to do, okay? Okay, so, so the mission planner is, is uh, so the families or individuals may have a, de- a different no- a denominational affiliation or background. In my humble co- opinion, this is where a number of LCMS mission plans have encountered challenges. Unless the mission planner is truly focused and dedicated in catechizing those he meets, a traditional model church can simply become a hodgepodge for backdoor losses for neighbor, from neighboring parishes and others who are self-centeredly looking for personal gratification or design. But remember, our Lord himself established not only the office of under-shepherd, pastor, but also the Christian church itself. We have been given the pattern of words to use in teaching, preaching, and worship. Thus, our Lutheran forefathers, and it says it this way in our Lutheran confessions, retained the Mass. For some of you, this is old news, but for others, it may be a new perception, as I was blessed with many years ago. In short, the traditional model, as it's understood today, is often a lonely road filled with few that can be trusted. Now, the newer model of church planting employed even in the LCMS today is the launch large model. Starting with a staff of small people and a large amount of money, the initial goal is to gather 40 to 80 people together who will then work together on the launch. This tends to be a pass-fail option as the first four to six weeks is crucial for success. But when it does, the tales of success are endearing and empowering to those who use the metrics of butts in the seats and dollars in the plates. As Jesus called Peter to feed my sheep, I can't help but wonder how such a model, a large model, works in terms of pastoral care. Because you see, in large churches, the pastoral work must be farmed out to other leaders just by sheer volume. I do not see this being a faithful model of scripture, but would love to talk with someone who does. One of the first things I was told is, uh, um, uh, Marcus, um, don't spend the time going to see the shut-ins and the old folks. Find somebody else to do that. That's going to take away from what you need to do. I hope that makes you sad to hear that. Okay? So um, you should have pastors that, that are visiting their people. You should have people that know that they can call their pastors and they will come see and talk with them as well. Okay, there should be some sort of relationship there. Okay, 
Um, churches should never get so big that um, the pastoral work and that relationship can't be developed. There are also a few other models of church planning known as missional, incarnational, and organic. Uh, without going further into detail, they entail a weak ecclesiology, meaning weak structure and governance coupled with an emphasis, and you'll hear these words a lot, discipleship, incarnational living. And it would be fair to say that Mission Planners Institute touched on each of these models in some small way, but was definitely predisposed at the time, this is 15 years ago, or longer, towards a traditional model of preparing, training, and sending a mission planner out on his own to work the fields. So is there a model that Scripture espouses? If we're going to talk about mission planning, that's always the question I get. What do we call it? I don't know. But based on Scripture and our confessions, we must say this. True mission requires a pastor called and ordained, faithfully teaching and preaching God's word of law and gospel, as well as administering the sacraments according to Christ's mandate and institution. This is clear and is stated according to John 21, 2 Timothy 1, and Augustana 5 and 7 that I read earlier. However, the Center for U.S. Missions, and this does still exist today, the Center for U.S. Missions at one time was, uh, I believe, an RSO. Uh, they're still used by many of our LCMS districts. So some of this, I'm just going to call it for what it is. You can deal with me however you want. Some of this nonsense is still taking place in some of the districts for our Missouri Senate. So the Center for U.S. Missions described, they hosted MPI like this. We understand mission to be, first of all, that which God has done in Christ to reclaim his world. This mission was accomplished through Christ, uh, was accomplished through Christ atoning for human sin by his death on the cross and ultimately conquering sin, death, and the devil by his resurrection. Nod your heads. That's not too bad, is it? I mean, I'd tweak it a little bit, but I, is, that, is that fairly good? Pastor Ullman, can I put you on the spot? Is that, is that okay gospel? It's not bad. Yeah, pretty good. Okay, he's not ready to throw everything into that one, but it's not bad. Now look at where they go from here. It is second, mission is second, that which God's people, in accordance with Christ's commission in Matthew 28, continue to do through the Holy Spirit's empowering as they proclaim the gospel and gather his people into the community of the church. This mission will find its conclusion when Jesus returns in glory. The mission of the church is God-originated, Christ-centered, and Spirit-empowered. Now, here's what I want you to do. Notice the second emphasis. That which God's people do. They proclaim. They gather. God's people should not be the subject of any sentences or emphases. The Holy Spirit is the one who proclaims and gathers. Reread Augustana 5. Read the explanation to the third article of the Creed in Luther's small catechism. Have we forgotten these things as a church? And what about the sacraments? There's no mention of them. How can you talk about mission and not talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper and absolution? Should we be training our pastors to focus on themselves by asking them about their story, their values, their mission, their vision? I would humbly submit to you, no. Let us repent of doing that which seems right in our own eyes. Let us instead follow the pattern of sound words set before us in Scripture, in the Confessions, in the Catechism, in the Divine Service. Let us be theologians of the cross and not of glory. And if you haven't heard that phrase before, I talked about it my first month here, read Luther's Heidelberg Disputation. The link for you is on the bottom. 
Let us love our neighbors so fully and completely that, <laughs> that we understand the Great Commission. You ready for this? To not be Matthew 28, 19 to 20, but rather John 21. Feed my sheep. That's right. I would submit to you, and you can do with me what you want, call me crazy, the Great Commission is feed my sheep. Feed them with the Word. Feed them with the, the unadulterated, inerrant law and gospel with an objective meaning as given by Scripture itself. Feed them by catechizing them. Feed them when they repent and when they confess with the absolution and body and blood of our Lord. And it is sufficient. It is sufficient for the true unity of the Christian church that the gospel be preached in conformity with a pure understanding of it that the sacraments be administered in accordance with the divine word. Now, after returning from Mission Planners Institute, I had my first elders meeting at Friends in Christ Lutheran Church. I asked them each to bring a Bible. And what happened next, you won't find in any of the mission planning books or binders. We began a study on closed communion and implemented the practice shortly after. So what I had to do was prioritize. I knew I wasn't going to be able to fix and teach every single little thing. I had to literally make a list. What, where is my line in the sand as a pastor to these people? I knew I was going to have to put up with stuff and deal with stuff, and I was going to have to be patient, and I didn't know how they were going to respond to all that. Okay? I've met plenty of other pastors who you know, have been faithful, and, and they've, they've been kicked out by a congregation, or their life has been made miserable. Um, sometimes they've tried to do things too quick. Sometimes people just don't want anything to do with God's Word. We've seen that as pastors. And that's unfortunate and sad. So you want to be faithful, you want to have a good conscience, but, but you've got to start somewhere. And you can do this in your own life. You know, if you've got some things going on with your kids or with your job or with your, your own personal life, you can't fix everything at once. Prioritize. What's the most important to you? Start working on that one step at a time. And so that's what I did. Now, thanks be to God, they received God's word on closed communion. Most of the elders, they never read any, really studied any part of, of 1 Corinthians. They never studied what koinonia meant, what fellowship meant. Oh, well, we don't want anybody to eat and drink judgment to themselves. You think? <laughs> you know, we don't want the Lord's body and blood to be glass in their belly, in the words of Dr. Ken Corby. We don't want that. We want it to be good for them. So, and God calls us to be stewards of it. It's hard work. It's not easy. We still labor with that work here when we have visitors. All right? But just to ignore it is to be unfaithful, right? Um, then I asked them to bring a hymnal, and we began a study on liturgy and the divine services. And within a year after that, we were at least following the rubrics, although without the music or chanting. Since CCM, Christian Contemporary Music, is, is, was so important to many of them, I became the first drummer in our little praise band, okay? Meaning the best way for me to get involved and to teach them was actually to do... Well, I enjoyed playing the drums, don't get me wrong, okay? But it gave me an opportunity to teach, to catechize, and to slowly introduce hymnody and at least music with orthodox lyrics. And so we slowly moved the contemporary music out of the divine service and just had kind of like a 15-20 minute coffee hour beforehand or after. Now the Lord blessed His Word as He always does. It never returns void or empty, and you have to trust that. I spent three and a half years there feeding the sheep before accepting a call to a different place with different challenges. And Peace Hastings had to call me twice, by the way, to get me away from here. I still stay in touch with a lot of these folks. Love them to death. 
And thanks be to God, they got a very faithful pastor, Reverend Emil Warner, graduated from Concordia Fort Wayne back in 2007, I want to know, be longer than that, 2008 or 9. He's actually from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and he's doing a great job. The one thing he hasn't been able to get rid of is kind of the praise band stuff, because that's part of their DNA. But everything else, you know, very faithful, okay? Um, and I'm very thankful for that, okay? Um, I, one of the reasons I took the call to Peace Hastings, I had a different challenge. It was an older congregation that uh, needed a lot of work. Um, and they also, we had just come out with the new Lutheran hymnal, and they said, we found out there's services in the hymnal. We don't have to print off our bulletin every week, which they were kind of doing just kind of a, a very generic that. Would you teach us the divine services and prayer offices? And so I said, yeah, I will come and do that and do that labor. And that worked out really well. And then you guys called. <laughs> it's all good. Don't get me wrong. I love it here. <laughs> and they, they got a really good faithful pastor last Sunday, Reverend Micah Gaunt, who's actually a little younger than me, but uh, was a friend of mine, very faithful pastor. I'm, I'm just so thankful that where I've served, I've had good pastors, probably better pastors than me, I will say that, that have followed me. And I'm so thankful for that. Okay. All right, let's finish. Uh, well, man, now see, I talked too long. I did this in 45 minutes. So we'll pick this up next week because it's, it's already too late. All right, what are we on, 12? Oh, no, I'm almost done. I got one paragraph. Okay, sorry. Um, so the Lord blessed his word. And I suppose you could say that this, this mission plant stuff that I'm talking about was a successful replant, right? Uh, and since then, I've had two other plants that I've been involved with that Never quite got off the ground, okay? Um, and now working on a fourth, which is long-term. That might be something that we do in, in Lebanon or Whitestown, okay? Mission Planning Institute was a blessing to disguise, for it emboldened me to follow Christ and His Word, as opposed to my story, my values, my mission, my vision. And we have the pattern for mission planning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Acts 2, verse 42. Let it be so among us. Jesus, help. Amen. Quick questions. We're three minutes over. You know, there was, and I put, I think, in the footnote, um, the, 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 there were those leaders who bought into the concept that unless you are multiplying and growing, you're a dead church, okay? So what do we need to grow the church? You're in business, okay? You understand a little bit of what it takes to either get people in the door or catch their attention, right? So you run some ads, you might have some similar slogans, you've got some, um, some, some material that is out there uh, that people are seeing on a regular basis. You get some market saturation, right? And the goal is to get people to come into your place of business and, and purchase your products, right? So these business principles uh, have been adopted by the church uh, to try and get people in the door. But what gets left out of all that is the work of the Holy Spirit through the means the Holy Spirit has given us to grow the church. So the pattern of sound words is word and sacrament, okay? I mean, if we wanted to pack this building next Sunday, I'll tell you what we do. We're going to raffle off uh, a Tesla Model 3. Oh, yeah. I guarantee you, we'll get a bunch of people here. Do you agree with me? 
I, oh, I bet we could get a lot of people here, and we'll sell, the tic- we'll sell those tickets cheap, right? $5 a ticket. You just got to show up at 1030 next Sunday. I guarantee you we could pack that sanctuary. It's not a matter of, of knowing ways to do that. The question is, what are the ways God has given us to do? It's the same concept with baptism. I used to ask this question. I had a professor that about slapped me when I asked it the second time. Why don't we fly tanker planes over the whole United States? We've got, we've got these great computers now. We can do a complete crisscross. We'll douse everybody with water. And we'll have pastors on loudspeakers. And they don't even have to be pastors because it's the word that does the work, right? We'll just have loudspeakers. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the... We'll baptize the whole stinking continental United States. Mission done. Why don't we do that? Because God's given us the model and the prescription of how to do that. So what's happened, unfortunately, is leaders along the way have bought into what other people have believed are ways to do that. Okay? So, uh, lex orande, lex credende, you know, what, what you believe is shows in what you worship. They're, they're, they're linked together. Uh, and so, okay, all right. Yep, we're going to be late for church. Go ahead. <laughs> Yes, thankfully. Thanks for asking that question. There was actually an interview that Pastor Feeney did. Um, it was on um, uh, KFUO radio about a month ago. You could probably find it on the archives. And he talked with, uh, what's it, Robert Shav. I think I have it in the footnotes. He's the new director of missions for the Missouri Synod. One of the good things, there have been many good things. There have been some things that I... I think have been ignored. What one of the things that Harrison has done a good job is he's put some good people in some good positions. And so there's a whole new manual for planting churches that was written by, and I think his name is Shav. It's in the footnotes. Go back and look at it. Uh, and it's available online. I wish we had that material back then. Okay? Because he gets into scripture and confessions first, the fathers, and he and he goes from there. Okay? Now, there's a lot of things that you can and should be doing as a mission congregation. Don't get me wrong. You need to be out there engaging with the people and doing things. And the people need to be doing stuff. You'll hear more about this from me. But the main thing needs to say the main thing. You got it? And so when you flip that around backwards, and you're not starting with the main thing, or you're not starting with asking the tough questions or dealing with it, you're going to end up in the wrong place. Okay. I will take, write down questions if you have them. I'll take them next week if you have any more. Otherwise, we will be back in the Marquardt study next week, okay? Uh, let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.